Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading comes from Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 1 and 4 through 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Amen. Thank you, Hannah Pay. Appreciate that. Good morning again, and welcome to Redeemer at Lincoln Square. We've been doing, as um, Vanessa just said, a series on work because work is where you spend the majority of your time. And we have done, in previous weeks, we looked at the innate value of work because God worked and he created and then he made you in, in uh, his image, which means then we're creators. And so our work is valuable innately. Work was made before the fall which means after things are all fixed and remade, there will still be work for us to, to do. Yet we, what we have not talked about yet is this. That's great. That's all nice in theory. But how do we work in broken systems with broken people? You could say in part the reason why our worlds are fracturing right now, why America's fracturing, is because we don't know how to work with people we disagree with. We don't know how to work and live with people we disagree with. And so there's been this amazing thing happening where people are sociologically moving to other areas of the country so they can be with people that have their ideology. So they can have to be near people where they feel like they can be safe. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, is how do we then, how do we sit with people or be with people See, the problem with that movement is I, I think wherever you go, you're still going to find people you disagree with. You're still going to be in cities where you're not sure if, if, 
um, how, to, how to relate? What's our posture? Should Christians be against the city? Should Christians be for the city, somewhere in between? Are we supposed to just avoid it? Are we supposed to just hunker down and survive here? Are we supposed to just sort of live and let live? What's our posture to be? And the text we're going to look at today is one of those core redeemer DNA passage that I grew up on that I, deeply affected me. But unless we uh, go into this text and let it influence us, we're never going to actually be able to see how our work doesn't just matter in general, but how do we actually functionally do it in spaces with people we don't agree with. And so let's see three things today. Let's look at what not to do, what we are here to do, and then how to do it. So what not to do, what should we do, how do we, and then how do we do it. So first, what not to do. This whole text in this space in Jeremiah, this is the place where Jerusalem has been conquered by the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar has carried a remnant of those captives back to Babylon. This is around 586 B.C. And the reason why they did that is because that's what Babylon did. Babylon always, uh, when they conquered a, a, a culture, they never destroyed everyone and everything. They would always take the skilled workers, the thinkers, the artists back into their culture to absorb them to actually strengthen their own culture. And the reason why they did that is because they knew somehow that if they bring back a remnant into their own culture in a couple generations, that distinct people with its own values, its own traditions, its, its own dress, its own way of thinking, would in one or two generations disappear as they got jobs, as they start wanting to be accepted by the people around them to move up in culture, you have to start looking like a Babylonian and acting like a Babylonian. And they knew that's what would happen. And so those distinctives would go away, but the skills and the things that they wanted from the culture would stick around. The Jewish exiles were not dumb. They knew that this was uh, the, the game plan. Hananiah, just the chapter before, pointed this out to everybody. And so the solution was against, from being, the solution against being absorbed by the culture was very simple. Resist. Stay away. Stay pure. Stay outside the city. Let's, stay, let's set up camp. Let's not go in. Let's be a distinct people. In fact, a lot of Jewish custom and, and law talks about that. Let's stay away and don't move in. Maybe we'll, we'll go into the city if we have to trade with them, if we need to get something from them, but we're not actually going to go in. Old Testament professor Tremper Longman coined some great terms that I has really helped me think about these things. He says the only options they thought they had was either to assimilate or to separate. To assimilate means to go into the city but lose your identity. To separate means to stay on the outside but disdain and look down upon and condemn. And they thought that was the only two ways to do it. A couple years ago, there was this Christian satire article I read. It's, it's always left an impression on my mind because here's the title. The title was... After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith. And it's a satire, so it, it, they interview the, the, the parents, and the parents were like, well, well yeah, we, we went, you know, we averaged once a quarter, you know, we, to church because there was soccer practices, but, you know, God wants us to pour into our kids, and there's the weekend retreat house, and we were upstate, and, you know, it was sometimes sunny, so we wanted to stay out and enjoy God's creation. And sometimes it was rainy, so we didn't want to go to church. And so there's good reasons. But 
what the satire points out is that if your actions show church isn't that important to you, then of course it's not going to be important to your kids. See, you, you've assimilated. You've assimilated if you can't quickly answer how your values are different from the values of the surrounding culture. You've assimilated if you, if you uh, take the historic Orthodox Christian doctrines that you don't like and you push them away, and shocker, they just happen by coincidence, they happen to be the very same things that the surrounding culture does, disagrees with as well. You say, Mike, Mike, I just freed myself from, from the dogma. But the truth is that you've actually just switched out and traded one set of dogma for another set of dogma. Every culture, by the way, has something that they feel like, uh, you know, they can't accept of the Bible. Go to the Middle East and it says, in the Bible, it says, love your enemies. They say, no, hey, you know, we don't love our enemies. We hate our enemies. But you go to the folks in the Middle East and say, hey, marriage is between one man and one woman, you know, inside of marriage. That's, not, that's what marriage is, what sex is for. And they say, in the Middle East, they say, of course, of course that's true. But you come here and everybody's like, that's crazy. See, if your way of defining happiness and freedom and identity and justice and, and power and sex, those narratives, if they all happen, just so happen, to be the same as the surrounding culture, then you've assimilated. Now, on the other side of things, here's how you know you've separated. You've separated it if you look at them, that group over there, that city, that, those folks, and you say, those folks are all out. Those people are all apostate. We can't go in. We can't, we're not going to do that. There's been lots of rhetoric recently that I've, I've, that I've been hearing, which is, hey, let's not try to live in and around those people over there because they're coming to get you. They're coming after you. That's what, that's what gets clicks, is that kind of rhetoric. You're still, and it, let, me, let me go further on this. You still separated. If you may, you, maybe you do go into the city, but you only come here to use it, to get something from it. Maybe you come here to climb the corporate ladder or have a little bit of fun, you know, you're just, or, or to do your school, or maybe this is where you come right after school, or maybe this is where you are in your transition period. Many people in this town do not think of themselves as separatists. But if you have no further vision for why you're here, other than just for your own family or for yourself, and you don't connect your good to the greater good of everybody else around you, then you've separated You've at least you've separated your goodness from their goodness. You've separated yourself from them. That's what this is saying. That you've, you, you've separated if your goal in life is to get away and go to a place that's easier and nicer and less crime and more comfortable without necessarily involving yourself in the lives of those who actually might need you. And let me just be very clear here. Let me give you a quick side point. I'm not saying that if you're a Christian, you have to live in the city. I'm not saying that. In fact, there's, we need Christians everywhere. What I am saying is wherever you go, you need to make sure that you have a vision for why you're there. That wherever you're at, you need to make sure that you are not just there to consume like a locust that just goes from one place to another. I'm just going to eat up and get what I can and I'm going to go to the next place, the next place, the next place. Instead, you have to say to yourself, ask the deep question, why am I here? Why should I be here? I think that we need Christians everywhere, but there just seems to be a smaller percentage of Christians in cities than outside of cities, at least in America. And so, to, before we move on, I want, I want to push on us just, to, and I'm pushing on myself here, because you can grow up in the city and say, I'm just going to stay here. Why? Because this is the most comfortable. I grew up here. This is where I'm from. 
That's not a vision for the city. Where might you have unknowingly assimilated the, the surrounding culture's values as yours without even knowing it? Where might you have separated and lived a vision for yourself but not for others? In a funny way, if you've separated from the vision for New York City in an ironic way, you've actually just assimilated to the culture that you've come from that you want to go back to that has its own values, has its own way of the good, the true, and the beautiful that is flawed and and broken as well. Why is that one better off than this one? See, I, I think to the surprise of everybody, what God does here is he says, here's what not to do. Don't assimilate, don't separate. And the reason why that's surprising is, is most people think those are the only two possibilities. Come in and lose your identity or stay out and keep your identity. And God says no. Then what does he say? Look, second point here. What are we here to do? What are we actually here to do? I find it very interesting that the very choices that the Israelites thought, they only thought they only had two choices, come in or stay out, are the very two that actually still today, that's what animates us as well. Give in or stay out. Compromise our values, but then be accepted by the culture. Or don't compromise our values, disdain the culture to keep our separateness, but then we're, we're disdained in return. And God says, no. We have some, we, we have, we're here to do something, and this is in verses 5 through 7. Verses 5 through 7 says, build and seek. Two things to do, build and seek. First, build. Look at verse 5. It says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens. So building houses is building. Planting gardens, by the way, is still building. It's just building crops. And then it says, marry. Have sons and daughters and give them away. What is mar- You're building marriages. Build, build, build. You only build houses. See, this, why is God saying this? Because you only build houses and plant gardens and have generational planting of people if you're going to stick around, if you're not going to separate so what God is saying here in one ver- this first verse is he's saying is don't live separately. Go in. Stick around. See yourself as a participant of the greater good. The number one reason I, I've been here long enough, the number one reason families say they want to leave is they say, I don't want to raise my kids here. But then I, 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 this week I've been convicted. I'm like, maybe I need to take them to verse 6. Because verse 6 says, marry and have sons and daughters and so that they will have sons and daughters. And so I'm like, wait, 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 you don't want to raise your kids here, but this is the very thing that God actually tells these people to do, is to raise your kids in the bad place in Babylon. I mean, I was raised here, and I turned out okay, right? So um, <laughs> I've used that joke twice but now, by the way, so uh, you're not supposed to laugh, because that, right, that's bad if you're laughing, because then you're like, anyway. Recently, I've heard some people push back on this passage, and... Um, I think they push back on it because, well, before I get there, the number one re- that's the number one reason my parents say I want to leave. The number one reason single people want to leave is usually because they can't afford it. It's expensive. And I want to acknowledge that. It is really expensive to be here. Right? If you lose your job, I get it. But this is saying leaving just because it's expensive, that's not a valid reason. Right? That's still seeing how can I get something out of this place. It's not seeing the greater good here. And so people... Um, have, this has kind of been such a key value of Redeemer, and it's gotten, I think, into uh, sort of Christian culture. There's been a lot of people who have pushed back against this. They've said, listen, this is talking about Jewish exiles. This is talking about um, Babylon at a very particular time and place. This isn't about how we should live today. This is, that was descriptive back then. It's not prescriptive for us. And 
I just would like to make a quick comment and say, fine, go to James chapter 1, verse 1. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. What does Peter do? He calls the entire church. He says, you are exiles. He's connecting back to this space. And the Greek word for exiles there means resident alien. A resident is somebody, surprise, surprise, is somebody who is the opposite of a wanderer or a tourist. A resident is somebody who sticks around, who pours in, who's distinct. And an alien is somebody who just knows that they're not exactly like everybody else. That there's a difference, that there's a, there's a, uh, a distinctiveness. So if the options were come in, lose your identity, or stay out and keep your identity, the third op- what God is saying what you're supposed to do here is no, come in but keep your identity. What people thought you couldn't do. You see, and that's what it means to be a resident alien. Come in but be distinct. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. I told my daughter the other day that the world will tell you these two different phrases. The world will tell you this. To really love somebody, you have to accept everything about who they are and what they say about themselves. And if you disagree, you hate them. That's what the world says. You have to accept if they want, how somebody wants to identify if you're going to actually really love them. And if you disagree, you hate. And I said to her, I said, do I, does mom and dad actually accept everything about you? And she said, well, no. I said, well, do we love you? And she said, yes. And I said, well, see, there you go. Well, then the world's actually wrong about that. It's possible to love someone if you, even if you don't fully accept them. So the culture is wrong here. Now, to, are we separatists? Do we say, ah, oh, boo, bad, say away? No. We go further in and we love people because God loved us. Even if they disagree with us and we disagree with them, you can love without fully accepting. Because love is commitment. It's staying. Even if we don't fully say, and here's the funny thing. They don't, we, they don't fully accept us, but we don't have to fully accept them, but we can still love them. And hate, therefore, is, disagreement is not hate. Love is not just agreement. That's what it means to build and stay and plant. Now, secondly, the second thing to do is to seek the peace. This is verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And then if you go down to the second half of that verse, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, a lot of folks go, oh, that's, that's kind of self-serving, right? You know, if it prospers, then you prosper. But this key word is peace. And in English, peace is kind of like, you know, just nonviolence, you know, peace sign, hey, peace. It's very kind of flimsy. In Hebrew, the word peace is the Hebrew word shalom, which is an infinitely rich term. It, it's not just nonviolence, it's wholeness. It's harmony. It's things back the way that they were always supposed to be and then actually better for it. It's, it's restoration. And what I never noticed until this week in this text, which I've, I've, I've seen this text a lot, I never noticed when I got into the Hebrew, the word for peace is the same word, shalom, as prosperity and prosper. So literally you can read it this way. He's saying, seek the shalom and the shalom of the city because if it shaloms, then you will shalom. Right? That, this is not tit for tat. It's not, you know, I help you and, then you and then you'll help me. It's saying if you seek the shalom, the wholeness and restoration of the surrounding space, then of course wholeness and restoration will 
will meet you as well. But this is so unique because God is asking his followers to quad, quad seek the shalom and wholeness of not just anybody, but specifically their enemies. God is saying this, he's saying, hey, those people who want to see you fail, those people who are after you, those people who want to, who want to seek your demise and ruin you and tear you down, yeah, I want you to think about every day, how can I make their lives better? How can I actually care about them? How can I actually see peace and wholeness come to them? Now, peace and wholeness, by the way, is not always, you know, monetarily. Sometimes peace and wholeness, people might not think it's peace and wholeness, but it still is what we're supposed to do. All those people out there, what does it look like to actually seek their peace and wholeness and betterment? If you go onto social media or just, just live life, this is not how we live. Ironically, we're very much like, we talk about how people in the Middle East are like, you know, um, uh, we're not supposed to love our enemies, hate our enemies. And we're like, we're so much more enlightened over here. You know, we, we know better than that. Yeah, go on social media. We're like everybody else, right? You're not supposed to love your enemies. You're supposed to hate your enemies. If they've canceled you, you cancel them. If they talk bad about you, you talk bad about them. And yet what this is saying is you're not supposed to pray against your enemies. You're supposed to pray for them. That's completely, utterly different. Religion does this. Stay over here, stay pure, um, and, and stay separate. And then the city, culture says, hey, come on in. Assimilate. Adopt our view. And both views do this. They look at the other view, right? The, the culture looks at the religious folks and says, you know, pray against them. Uh, weaponize against them. And then the religious people tend to fight back and say, well, no, I'm, you're, we're going to be against you. Christianity says, neither assimilate or separate. God says, how dare you? Don't do either one. Don't stay out, but don't fall in. By the way, this is, much, this is far harder. It is far harder to stay, build, and plant, and seek shalom. Why? Because it's easy to, if you build and plant as a separatist, then you're building and planting for myself. Hey, I got to build my own house. I'm going to build my own thing. It's a lot harder to, for you to build individualistically for the collective. I'm building and planting because I'm going to do it to prioritize other people. Every other ideology I know out there always does assimilate or separate. I'll, let me quickly show you. Capitalism. The assimilate people in capitalism, what do they say? They say, yeah, come on and make as much money as you can. Greed is good. Yeah. And the separate people do this. They say, you know what? Capitalism, it's awful. It's bad. It leaves people behind. Let's destroy it. Let's tear it down. Christians are supposed to say, wait a second. Genesis 1, God has created all things good. At one point it was good, but all things are broken and fallen and marred. So that means we can enter into capitalism, and there's a lot of good that we can do through it in the business world. We don't separate. At the same time, we don't assimilate. We don't actually say, hey, I'm going to try to seek the monetary bottom line profits that my world demands from me. We say, no. That's a, that is a sign of fallenness because that's not my goal. The goal is people, not profits. So every ideology, capitalism, socialism, conservatism, progressivism, will always seek for you to assimilate into their view and separate out from everybody else. And yet what this comes in and does is God says, I want you to do neither. I want you to build and seek. And so before we move on, ask yourself, do you see yourself is your identity as a shalom-seeking exile here. That's what we're being told. That's what we're being asked to do. But do we see ourselves as that? That means you're not a consumer only. 
you're not a separatist. You're not an assimilationist. You're actually meant to come here and seek and serve shalom. And if you did that, you know what you're going to do? You're going to look at your work in a completely different way. We've already defined work as anything, not rest. So whether you're a stay-at-home mom or uh, a working mom, if you're a stay-at-home dad or a working dad, you're married or single, this is saying you aren't here just for yourselves. You are here for something bigger, a bigger vision to build, plant, marry, stay, and seek. That's why our vision is for the joy of the city. It's to be that presence. Now, last point, how? How do we actually do that? How do we build and plant and seek? This is all very theoretical and nice idea, Mike. Let me give you three quick practical steps that are actually in the text. Number one, first step is be, I'm going to call it, be consciously curious. Sorry, be, be consciously carried and curious about being carried. Verse one, go back to verse one. The text says that Nebuchadnezzar carried you into exile. This is verse, um, verse one. Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile for Jerusalem. But then go down to verse four, and it says, God's talking now, it says to all those I carried into exile. And just in case you want to skip over that, go down to verse seven, and God repeats himself. He says, guess what? I'm the one who carried you into exile. Question, who carried who into exile? Did Nebuchadnezzar carry them into exile, or did God carry them into ex- exile? And what the Bible says is yes, that it can actually be both, that God can use evil actions for good. Just go to the story of of Joseph. Joseph literally says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, which means God can use bad circumstances in your life for good. And that, I mean, be very careful here. Exile is bad. Exile is not good. God does not want that. But we need to sit in this. And, and I don't know how to do this, but think about where you are. Think about the exiles that you're in. I'll tell you what, ex- we're all feeling kind of exiled in our bodies. We're, we're, nobody's fully comfortable with who they are. And if you, if you are, then uh, bodily, if you are, just give it some time. <laughs> because bodies start breaking. There's exile there. We don't feel, we, we're exiled in our communities. Nobody feels fully accepted and cared for it. Nobody feels like they're actually fully known and fully loved. Think about your marriage. Think about your non-marriage, that aspect. There's brokenness. There's exile there. Think about, uh, what else? All the circumstances that God has carried you into. There's a lot of hard circumstances that we've been put into we did not ask for. And we need to ask ourselves, this is saying, why did God actually put me in these spaces? If things are not the way they should be, why did he put me here for now? And this text is saying, if God was the one who did it, that means there's a purpose, there's a point, there's a plan, there's a, uh, a, a place, even if they're hard to find these things. And that means then you're never supposed to say, well, I'm just here to be comfortable. I'm just here to uh, have a job. or I'm just here to kind of have fun for a little while. You need to ask the deeper question, why did God bring me into this space now because before you can accept god and his plan for you you have to first accept that he brought you precisely through this space for this point and i don't know this is it's hard it's, this is a hard statement because i don't know how much you've suffered i don't know what you've been through i've cried with a lot of you i know there's been wildernesses that you've 
that you feel like you're still in or will go into, and there's deserts you've had across, loneliness, suffering, hardship. A lot of you had to go through various forms of abuse and hurt, and they've all been part of who you are, and God's brought you through it. And if you don't realize who has been walking with you through that, you're going to be more focused about how I can get out of it than what I can do in the midst of it. And here's what's crazy about life. The older you get, the realize. You keep thinking, oh, if I just get through this, this part, I'll get to the ne- then I'll be all right. No, there's always something else. There's always a new wilderness. There's always a new exile. And so you, the teaching is, it's important to say, how do I actually not try to get through it, but how do I serve and love in it? In this particular case, God is saying, I want you here. I have my purposes. I have a plan. This is all verse 11, which is probably one of the most abused verses in the Bible. But people love to say, well, for I, for I know the plans I have for you, to prosper you and not harm you. People interpret that as God wants me to be happy. Guess what? That word prosper is the word shalom. Shalom is wholeness. Guess what? Your shalom, God wants to, yeah, he wants to bring shalom, but sometimes your wholeness is going to hurt. The process by which God's doing that in your life will hurt. I know that. I, I learned that when I first got braces. <laughs> I got harmony. I got wholeness. I got per- perfectly aligned, and it was painful. I learned that starting this church seven years ago. We're going to celebrate it soon. But I learned through my mistakes. I've made mistakes in leadership. I made mistakes in management. I made, mis- I made so many mistakes, and it hurt. But it was in that hurt that you had to look at yourself, that you get humbled, that you say, why did, you had to be called out on it. And in that process, there's a, a, a willingness to kind of say, well, how do, what does that mean for me? And there's a changing that can happen, but only if you let yourself go into those spaces. Knowing that I don't know, in small ways, then starts helping the healing. Now, there's a lot of healing medically that hurts, when you medically, a lot of times you have to cut to heal medically. A lot of times those cuts just hurt. So which one is it? Is it a cut to hurt or a cut to heal? It's hard to see. But this is saying, often, we can't tell the difference, but that doesn't mean he hasn't brought you here for wholeness. So step one is consciously know you've been carried. That's the first step. You can't seek somebody else's shalom. You can't seek the shalom unless you see that you've been carried here for, for now. Now, Secondly, practice prayer. Some of you are like, I don't want to separate. I don't want to assimilate. You know what you do? I call that procrastinate. <laughs> a lot of you, you said, Michael, there's only two options. Well, there's one, procrastinate. But you know what? God has a way out of that too. Look at verse 7. He says, pray to the Lord for it. Verse 12, pray to me and I will listen to you. The, this instruction is so significant. I've really been shocked this week because I never thought about this before. That the, the, the assumption in that statement pray to it, I will listen to you, I'll hear you. The assumption had huge ramifications for the people of Israel. This is the first time, post-temple, post-tabernacle, God says, you don't have to be in a particular place or do a particular thing for me to hear you. I can hear you anywhere. I can hear you in Babylon. That means God can hear you anywhere in the world. Also, God hears your prayers on behalf of other people who don't believe in him. That's amazing. Next time somebody says, well, how do you know prayer works? Take him to this passage, because this is actually where it's saying he does. Now, some of you are feeling beaten down, as we just talked about. There's a lot of people in America feel like 
The world's against them. Christians feel that. Non-Christians feel that. Uh, liberals feel that. Conservatives feel that. We're in election year. And the rhetoric is increasing, not decreasing, about those people over there are, tr- are after you. I looked this up last night. In 2022, there was a Pew study that asked people, do you feel like your side's mostly losing or winning? You know what the answer was? 73% of Americans said we're losing, which is ironic because it's impossible. 70%, that means three out of four people in America feel like they're the ones that are being attacked and being t- taken against. And God's saying to that group, us, pray for whoever else you think the other is. Instead of saying, see, when you're hurt, here's the natural inclination. They hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. They're after me, I'm going to get them back. When I get in power, when I, when I finally get my turn, I'm coming for you. And God says, pray for them. Pray for them. And if you pray for them, your heart will change and their hearts will change because that's what God's promises here. If you don't believe me, try it. Pray for this city if you don't like the city. Pray for that person or that people group that you think is after you and trying to come for you. And I tell you, do that day after day, week after week, month after month, and, and God won't just change their, the circumstances. And he might not, by the way, but you know what he will do? He'll definitely change your heart. Always. That's what we see here. Pray. Second step is pray. Last step, peace. We need to see that you only get peace to the peacemaker. Look at verse 14. I know we're out of time, but verse 14 says, it looks like he's saying, I'm going to bring you back from captivity. And, he, and you think that because in verse 10, he says 70 years to captivity. I'm right, that, it, there was about 70 years of Babylonian captivity. But in verse 14, he says, I'm going to gather you from all nations and all places where I've banished you. Wait a second. The Babylon captivity was one place and one people group. So whatever he's saying here, this isn't about the Babylonian captivity. This is about not physical exile. This is about spiritual exile. It turns out the physical exile of the, of the Jewish people here was actually to show them there was actually a deeper exile. And how was God going to bring them back from that? That's the story the Bible's been trying to answer. And the answer we need to go to is this. Who do we know who went into the hard places not to make themselves great but to make others great? Who do we know who left his home to seek the shalom of people who despised him and hated him? Who do we know didn't assimilate, didn't give into the temptations of this world, but didn't separate and say, you know what, I'm going to let this cup of wrath pass from me? Jesus was the one who was brought in to our world. He came in to free us from our exile. He was exiled so that we weren't. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is a form of exile that he went in so that we could be brought home. And you know what happens if you make that the core of who you are? If Jesus, if the core of Jesus is a man who dies for his enemies, who hate him and don't love him, guess what? If you actually made him the core of who you are, you would die and love your enemies too. And when Christians don't do that, and history has shown Christians have not, it's not because we are believing our faith too much, it's because we're not believing it enough. Because the core of our faith is a, is a God who dies for his enemies. And that's what we would do too. That if we had this in our lives, you wouldn't assimilate. Why? Because guess what? There's nothing the culture can offer that you don't already have in the love of Jesus. But you're not going to separate because you're not going to, you're going to love and care and not stay out because you're going to want to seek and to serve like you've been served. You're going to seek 
to love the way that you've been loved. The more accepted that you are in the person of Jesus, the more acceptance you're going to have for people. The, and the power to stay here in New York will be, and to not assimilate or separate will happen to the degree that you know that he has cared for you. The more that you sense your need and lostness fixed and redeemed, guess what will happen? A, you won't be surprised when this world is broken. You're going to say, of course it is, because I know my own. And at the same time, you're going to feel like you can, ha- you can be moved to do something about it because Jesus was first for us. Friends, are you ready for this? Let's be exiles together. Neither assimilating or separating. Not living in the binaries culture actually wants us to do. This, folks, this is the answer. It's so nuanced. It's not being co-opted in some ideology that actually wants to own and rule over you. Instead, it's saying, I can be part of things without being of those things. This is saying that I can actually be careful and curious, but I can be here and present without losing my identity. And I think the way is, is for us because God has paved that way through Jesus. And if we did that in our work, we could stay in broken systems with broken people, as broken people ourselves, not being crushed by them, even as, as the oppression is there, and not being overly idealistic or utopian that about any particular view as the answer, because there's only one answer, it's him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, this is such a huge text, and it's so foundational and it's so difficult because we can hear it all and it, can, it makes intellectual sense and yet it doesn't, hasn't moved our hearts and it doesn't, it, it was confounding to the people who heard it originally and it's still confounding to us because it's not how the world works. Father, that's how we know it's true because it doesn't work by the world's properties and it's founded on the nature and core of who you are who's been able to hold on to their, you held on to your identity and entered into ours. You were able to incarnate, and you're asking us to incarnate too. I, I, I pray that everybody in this room, including myself, it's a lot easier just to not think about it, assimilate, separate, procrastinate. I just pray that we get a bigger vision for why we're here and what we're here to do. And Father, this, even that sounds daunting, it's actually freeing. Because we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to make it. We don't have to have anything go our way because we know the new heavens and new earth are coming and we rest in that. We don't look for heaven on this earth. We know there's one to come. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.